Good morning, my renegades. Welcome back to Rogue Radio. My name is Sarah Jane, and I have not left the bed yet. Today, we're going to do some Rogue news because it's been a while. So, put your helmet on if you're easily offended because we're getting right into this crap. Let's do it! I apologize. I don't know why I said crap, but yeah, let's, let's just get into this. Okay, let's do this. My news isn't crap. I must be way too enthusiastic today. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, you can reach me on my Instagram, Twitter, YouTube channel, and also my Gmail account, which I have just, uh put up so I will always have those in the description now. Thank you very much. Rogue Radio has a Facebook now so I will be putting that link in the description below as well. Thank you very much. If you are at all interested in supporting Rogue Radio, if you like what we do, if you like what we are putting out for you and all the information that we give, we have a GoFundMe. Every donation that we do receive will be put towards missions and also the expansion of our YouTube channel and our anchor. Missions is something that me and my husband believe in. We want to help people overseas and seeing that there are many countries that do listen to this podcast, we want to be able to give back to you as well. And giving into missions and mission work and missionaries is something that we want to do. Our GoFundMe page will also be in the description below, so be sure to click and donate. Thank you very much. We love you very much. And we're going to get right into the politics, the topic that I sometimes think I don't know anything about, but we're going to go and do it. Okay, I see Nancy uh, Pastrami, okay, uh, on here, so we're going we're gonna to do the story on her. It says, Pelosi defends potential overturning of Iowa House race. All of my news sources come from OAN News. You can go to OANnews.com or you can download the app if you want unbiased, truthful, non-democratic news. So, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Democrat from California, that doesn't surprise me, um, is continuing to defend a push to overturn an IS. I almost said Aizawa. I've been- I have been watching too many episodes of My Hero Academia. If I'm saying Aizawa instead of Iowa. I can- Do I not know how to say Iowa? Do I not know how to say that word now? Oh my goodness. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Democrat of California, is continuing to defend a push to overturn an Iowa congressional 
race won by Republicans. Why you gotta be like that, though? Nasty p pastrami, now come on. Be nice. Just because they're not the same political party as you, don't mean that you gotta be a bully, okay? House Administration Committee is considering a challenge from Democrat Rita Hart, who is contesting her 22 or 2020 loss. GOP Rep. Marionette Miller Meeks beat Hart in Iowa's 2nd District race by 6 votes. However, Hart challenged the results, arguing um, she would have won if votes were deemed illegitimate were not thrown out. Um, okay, this process of counting ballots has been around for years, and yes, I believe that, especially with the Joe Biden election, that this was like, you know, fixed so that Trump wouldn't win a second time. But it's funny how the Democrats will defend that there was a fair uh, voting like throughout that whole election race when we've seen so many video evidences of like it not being true and then all of the sudden when a Democrat like in Iowa does not win a certain electional race we see them being like oh, well, I would have won if those fake votes weren't, you know, thrown out. Like, okay. So you basically just want to defend the things that, I don't know. <laughs> They're hypocrites, I swear to God. Elite Democrats in the White House or in the government at all are such, like, such hypocrites. Like... Listen, you claim that the election with Joe Biden was not fixed, that ballots who had um, voted for Trump, like people who have voted for Trump, those ballots were not thrown away. There's tons of evidence on TikTok, everywhere, YouTube, everywhere, on the news, everywhere, as I said many times. And then all of a sudden, when something isn't good enough for you, or when something doesn't work out in your favor, you want to be like, oh, it's a fix. It's been fixed. Like, okay, how about you come out and say that the, the you know, Joe Biden and Trump election race was fixed? Because it was. Stupid. Oh my goodness. Despite concerns from moderate Democrats about her involvement in the race, Pelosi maintained its within her authority. Pelosi argues that, okay, this is um, a tweet from Mike Berg. I don't know who he is. Uh, Pelosi argues she's not obligated to seat certified election winner. If I wanted to be unfair, I would have seated the rep from Iowa because that was my right on the opening day. I would have just said you're not seated and that would have been my right as a speaker to do. Oh, okay, hang on. Okay, hang on. She's gonna- she- Nasty Pastrami's gonna talk. Okay. 
she's she's gonna talk. So we're gonna have um, a little um, little speech from her. So listen. Well, and we want to be fair. Now, if I wanted to be unfair, I wouldn't have seated the Dem the Republican from Iowa because that was my right on the opening day. I would have just said they're not seated, and that would have been my right as speaker to do. Well, and we want to be fair. Now, if I want. Okay, well, she basically said what she said in the tweet. But the thing is, is that, um, I don't know. I mean, you're letting other Democrats try to drag her through the mud. That's the problem. Um, you as House Speaker, you're supposed to be able to speak for those who need a voice in the House, for one. And you don't care about a Republican. Like, okay. And yes, to be honest, you are obligated to see a Republican election winner because she won that right to that seat. The very fact that she came out with this makes me uh, realize that she's pretty salty that a, that a Republican won the seat in Iowa. Um, keep being salty, though. Keep being salty. See where that gets you. Like, girl, no. <laughs> um, now, if I wanted to be unfair, I would Okay. Why is there, like, three different quotes on this article of the same quote? Some House Democrats are reportedly warning Pelosi against trying to overturn the results of the race, noting that it was certified by the state. They're concerned... The move would come from, come off as hypocritical. Didn't I just say that though? Oh my lord, I'm good at this. After slamming Republicans for raising concerns over voter fraud in the 2020 election. <laughs> I'm done. Okay, I have not read this, but I really want to, just so I can make sense of it, because I have no idea what it's about. Um, I haven't read the OAN website in a very long time, since um, I only use it for Rogue News, but... Uh, report. Intelligence community shift from external to internal threats has critics worried. Okay. Let's see. Critics are sounding the alarm over the U.S. intelligence com community's uh, increasing involvement in domestic politics. In mid-March, uh, a declassified report produced by the Department of Justice, Department of Homeland Security, and the Office of the Director of the National Intelligence claimed, that's a mouthful. Domestic violence extremism poses heightened threat in 2021. Um, according to the intelligence community, community uh, domestic extremists motivated by a range of ideologies pose an elevated threat to the homeland. Uh, the Attorney General, FBI, CIA, and other agencies also contributed to the report. The report listed domestic violence extremists as those who resist the government in the belief that it's purposefully exceeding its constitutional authority, which you are, 
who or oppose federal state laws, particularly those related to firearms and ownership. Um, I'm not surprised, for one. Definitely not surprised. You have a house full of Democrats. You have a White House full of Democrats. You have a Supreme Court probably full of Democrats. And they've been pushing for gun control for years. And since the White House and the government has been so infected by this democratic parasite, okay, there's going to be people from the FBI, CIA, stuff like that, who are going to name certain people, like American people who have the right to bear arms, as threats, as domestic threats, which I'm not surprised by. I mean, they've been wanting to take away our guns for so long, so that whatever they do, you're defenseless and you can't defend yourself. That's how it's been for so long, and that's how they want it. They want you to be helpless. And, I mean, you can believe anything you want about the Democrats, but the thing is, is that their values and what they stand for are so backward, it's disgusting. Like, come on. The American people are not a threat. Okay, especially now. There's a lot of patriots out there that stand up for what they believe in because they believe in the Constitution purely. Okay, they have the right to the freedom of speech. Democrats and even social media platforms are trying so hard to censor people and the way they speak. Um... You should see YouTube. I mean, you're not allowed to say rape. You're not allowed to say child porn. You're not allowed to say um, pedophilia. You're not allowed to do any of that. You're not allowed to say any of those things. And it, it upsets me because I've seen, like, I know I'm getting off topic, but like, this is where it's coming from. Like, the, this is what the Democrats want. They want to be able to cater to everybody's feelings which to me feelings are deceiving their feelings are unstable feelings are something that should not be catered to feelings get people in trouble that's one of the reasons why we have school shootings there's a reason why we have a lot of these destructive people who get mad when you say the wrong pronoun to them and it's like catering to everybody's feelings is going to end up us being under a dictatorship just so everybody could be happy and the thing is in the end no one's going to be happy but I know I'm getting a little too ahead of myself I already see it that's what I'm trying to say I already see it happening it also identified extremists as who oppose government in, or governing instructions which are perceived as harmful to society. Anyone believed to be an extremist could be subjected to surveillance, monitoring, and other restrictions. Okay, taking away our freedom of privacy, I mean, 
to be honest, I don't think we have privacy anymore. Everything's watching us now, but... <coughs> Critics, however, pointed out that while the government should investigate and prevent violence, it's important to recognize the limits, the, uh, recognize the limits the intel community has to involve itself in domestic law enforcement and domestic political activity. Right. I agree that, yes, the FBI should monitor certain people to a point, but when it comes to people who are just Republican and are expressing their right as an American to not wear a mask or anything like that, like, people are going to do what they want to do at the end of the day. Um, and you can't always control people, and that's what the Democratic government right now is trying to get people to do, is be controlled. They want to control people. Why do you think that they have the vaccine? It's not just because of COVID. They want to be able to segregate the people who are vaccined and who aren't and who have refused it in order to pick out and weed out the people that are a, air quote, threat to America. Which, in the end, we are not. We're just people who are expressing our freedom and we know because that's just how we've grown up. We have the right to freedom of speech, bear arms. We're allowed to express ourselves as human beings. And the thing is, is that the Democrats now are trying to take away our humanity. Analysts said that the intelligence community involvement in citizens' domestic activity is one of the most dangerous breaches of civil liberties the U.S. government can uh, perpetrate. I gotta read that again. Analysts said the intelligence community involvement in citizens' domestic activity is one of the most dangerous breaches of civil liberties in the U.S. government uh, can perpetrate. Yeah, um, cause you're trying to hush people when they want to express themselves, when they express their freedom. That's not okay. Intelligence overreach into the life of a private citizen is highlighted in 2016 when the FBI launched surveillance against former Trump aide Carter Page. I see. Um... There is a document somewhere floating around the internet, okay? I'm not gonna say where, but people who know, well, you know, okay? There is a document somewhere that has been shown on the internet a long time ago. I, I remember seeing this before, where this plan has been written up years ago. I remember seeing it in 2016. And I remember, like, why do they want to be able to list Christians as a threat? Why do they want to list Republicans as a threat and people who have the right to bear arms and all this stuff? Like, this was a literal government document. And it's been around since 2016. And I guess they've been trying to put it on the desk of the house so that they can try to enforce it now. I mean, y'all been fighting for that for that long 
you need to give up because it ain't gonna happen. But, mm-mm. Um, at the same time, CIA investigated um, so-called Russiagate affair with an apparent intent to alter the outcome of the election. Um, President Trump in 2017 tweeted the intelligence community was building a case against him. This was referenced to Senator Chuck Schumer, Democrat New York, not surprised, uh, who said opposing the intelligence community would be a mistake. You take on the intelligence community and they have six ways from Sunday at getting back at you, Schumer said. So even for the practical supposedly hard-nosed businessman, uh, he's being really dumb to this. So basically, you just threatened the the potential president of the United States at that time. Like, okay, bro. Um, he could have gotten you arrested for that, but okay. In 2018, House Intelligence Committee raised questions about the surveillance against Page, saying the agency was biased against uh, President Trump, not surprised. Uh, then in 2020, the Justice Department Inspector General found the FBI disregarded its own procedures when it targeted Page. In the light of the report, Republicans in the House and Senate, including Rep. Jim Jordan, Republican Ohio, okay, okay, surprised, <laughs> called um, on the IG to testify. They had a random sample and very, or on every single one of, hang on, I had a brain fart. They had a random sample and every single one they looked at had significant errors, Jordan said. Um, this management, management advisory letter they sent out to the Justice Department is basically like pulling the fire alarm with this whole FISA process and I think what is what it really undergoes underscores I'm so sorry I'm still trying to wake up and I think it really underscores is why won't Jerry Nadler why won't chairwoman Maloney over on the oversight committee why won't they bring uh, in Mr. Horowitz for an investigation okay recently the Biden administration and top Democrats have been pushing to have war on terror law applied for domestic purposes with Homeland Security shifting from outside threats so called domestic extremists Critics have been likened to the shifting focus from external to internal threats to the Soviet KJB style of the state security. Okay. No. No. Russian President Vladimir Putin in 2020 said he could see working with Joe Biden and his administration since they shared common ground in Soviet ideology. Oh my god. <laughs> Whoa. So, 
Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin, okay? Why? For one, Joe Biden, why would you want to be... I don't know. Listen, I don't even know if they're friends. I don't even know if they even work together or if they're colleagues or whatever. But listen, if Joe Biden decides to to be consulted by a president of Russia who thinks that emo kids are a threat, okay... It's true, it's stupid, and it's weird, okay? You need to really recheck why you're president. And I only say the emo kids thing because it's actually true. Kids aren't allowed to be emo in Russia. They're not allowed to to dress a certain way, which is really stupid. And the fact that Vladimir Putin thinks that emo kids are a threat to Russia just shows, like, the mentality that people have sometimes, especially in the government, when it's so stupid. It's so stupid. Oh my god. And having these two in the same room, we're all, we're all gonna, we're all under Soviet Union. Holy crap. We're, we're all... We're all just screwed. We're all screwed. (laughs) Okay, here's another random one, but I, I wanted to read this one because it has something to do with, uh, migrant children. I want to say that might be involved with, like, illegal immigrants but we're gonna get into it. But it says Pentagon to use JBSA Lackland Fort Bliss to house unaccompanied migrant children. Okay. Pentagon is ramping up efforts to contain the growing migrant crisis at the U.S.-Mexico border, which, to be honest, you shouldn't have opened up the border anyway, Biden. Um... During a process briefing on Wednesday, Pentagon spokesman John Kirby announced that Joint Base San Antonio, Lackland, and Fort Bliss in Texas will begin to temporarily house minors apprehended at the border in an effort to deal with an influx of illegal aliens crossing into the country. So, okay. To be honest, right now, it's starting to sound a little good. Because I'm all for saving the children. I'm all for, um, you know, keeping the children safe. But I know that it's just going to be messy with Biden. Because, for one, we know that he likes kids. But that's beside the point. I, I don't know. I just don't trust Biden. I, I never did. And I just don't like it. I don't like it at all. And not only that, I've watched a video. I've posted it on the Facebook of Rogue Radio that Joe Biden has been um, keeping certain illegal immigrants from Mexico and I want to say from other countries too. I'm not entirely sure. But he's been keeping them in these cages. He's been keeping them in these, um, 
almost like cells. Like, if you ever look into, like, a penitentiary uh, or a prison, they have, like, these uh, cinder block rooms, and they only have, like, a window, but instead of a window, these people only have, like, a window that they can open, and it looks like they're put in stables, basically, only their heads come out. And... I mean, who built the cages, Joe? Who built the cages, Joe? I'm gonna keep asking it because Trump did too. Who built the cages? Obama did. Jesus. Okay. Um. They don't care. They don't care about the freedom of people in Mexico. They don't. They don't. They just. They don't. They don't have anybody's interest in mind, like best interest in mind, and that really upsets me. Um. And when I'm starting to read this, it's starting to upset me just a little bit just because I know that that's happening and I can only imagine what they're doing to the children because I have seen pictures of children in cages, which I feel is disgusting and it, it's literally enraging me right now even talking about it. There were children sleeping on a stone floor, okay, in a cage. Why? Why, Joe? And you can't blame Trump for this one. Absolutely not. You can't. Because he's not in office anymore. What's your excuse, bro? The Department of Homeland Security, DHS, will maintain custody of the minors and will be responsible for their well-being and support. Yeah, air quotes, well-being and support. You're just gonna throw them in a cage. Like there's some freaking dog at a hum like a pound or humane society. Like, dude, stop. The care of these children will be under the health health and human services HHS, not the military, Kirby stated. The military role was to provide the site. And as I said, there may be some contracting support that we offer. This comes as the Biden administration continues to respond slowly to the crisis at the southern border. Of course he's gonna take his sweet time. Have you seen him walk up the steps to Air Force One? The dude needs to take his time. He can't process his brain commanding to take steps. Like, listen, bro. No. You don't even belong being in the Oval Office, you don't deserve to be president for many reasons. Of course he's going to take his sweet time with this because he's just been such a lazy president. What has he done? What has he done that actually has benefited America? I mean, I need somebody to say something, like, find me one good thing that Biden has done ever since he got elected, please. Because ever since he has been elected, okay, he has reunited the alliance with China, he took the, um, Trump has decided to use oil from Canada in order to supply our need in America, Joe Biden decided to cut that off and get it from China. 
or get it from the Middle East, whichever one. He has decided to rule that transgenders should be involved in women's sports, no matter how strong their physical being is, meaning that if somebody cracks the skulls of two women, oh, you're still going to get a reward because, hey, you're transgender, you went through a lot more than anybody else. Shut up! If transgenders really wanted to be in women's sports or in a sports division at all, they should have their own sports and let them duke it out in the same ring together. Just do it. And I don't care how many people get mad at me, I'm sorry. I just... It's stupid. You think that people are getting more freedoms, but then again, other people are getting oppressed by his dumb rulings. And I just want to slap him. I do. I want to slap Joe Biden across the face. And knock some sense into him. Do you know what? I don't think that's going to work. I don't think it will. You want to know why? Because he's stupid. He has a brain. I am on 100 today. I have not had breakfast yet. And it is insane how angry and passionate I am right now. <laughs> I'm surprised. So in conclusion with uh, me ranting about Joe Biden, so basically he has decided to uh, gain the alliance back with China who killed their own people, mind you. I don't trust any country that kills their own people. So he stopped oil, you know, from Canada being flowed back into America. And the reason why I feel like that was so smart is because it's right next to us. Canada is our neighbors, which means that the money would keep flowing into America and Canada, which would prosper us, okay? But instead, Joe Biden decided we're going to take oil back from, you know, China and you know, the Middle East, which um to be honest, there's probably a lot of cost just getting the oil here too which means he's spending millions and millions of dollars that um, should not be spent because of that crap, because of the stupid decision that he made. Not to mention, did he even, did he bomb Syria this year for no reason at all? I don't remember. I don't remember. I'm going to have to figure that one out. Let me ask Siri, okay? Did Joe Biden bomb Syria this year? I found this on the web. Yeah, Biden orders airstrikes in Syria relating to or retaliating against Iran-backed militias. Okay. No. I mean, Joe, you could have just done it very carefully, you know. You could have just infiltrated the base. You could have just arrested the people, but no, you just decided to bomb the whole country. Okay, that's hilarious. Oh, but Joe is great. Joe's amazing. Forget about it. I mean, honestly. He's a Democrat, which means he has our best interest at heart. He gives us money. He gives us so many stimulus checks. And he doesn't care about the national debt. He doesn't care about the national debt. He doesn't care about the America's debt. You know? Because he cares about you. What's gonna happen after you get taxed the next year for all of the stimulus checks? He wants to keep you comfortable. He wants to keep you paid and unemployed so you get lazy and get more controllable. Hey yo, there it is. I said it. They want to control you. Anyway, while speaking to reporters, Senator Lindsey Graham, RS, oh yeah, Republican South Carolina, 
criticized the White House for not getting a grip on the surge of illegal immigration. He pointed out, oh yeah, that's another thing, okay, since we were talking about it. He reopened the border, meaning that potential terrorists can sneak in without any problem. You can't tell me that people other than Muslims can be terrorists, okay? Anybody can be a terrorist, okay? I'm not discriminating. Anybody can be a terrorist. And the thing is, is that when Trump was in office, he knew that the Mexican border was the weakest point of America. That's why he wanted to build a wall. He wanted to keep America safe. But guess what? Joe Biden's like, oh, well, let's let everybody in, regardless of what's going on, you know, with the terror threats and stuff. Let's just let everybody in. And we can blame it on white people afterwards. I'm pretty sure this was going on in his head. I'm sorry, I'm done. I'm gonna reread the, the last paragraph here that I uh, stopped on. While speaking to reporters, Senator Lindsey Graham, Republican South Carolina, criticized the White House for not getting a grip on the surge of illegal immigration. Uh, he pointed out that the Trump administration is not to blame for the poor uh, decisions made by Democrats. Exactly. Uh, in response to the border crisis because he tried to build a wall. He actually put money towards building the wall. He wanted to keep America safe because he loves his country. Oh, but he says things. He says the cold hard truth and people can't handle it. Oh my god, I'm so offended. Oh my god. Let's, let's you know, get Biden in office. He's not going to hurt anybody's feelings. Who cares about your feelings, bro? I need to stop. <laughs> the Biden administration has lost control of the southern border. Not surprised. Um, it's time to regain control and you have to deal with the dynamic that led the border uh, being overrun, stated the Republican lawmaker. This is not Trump's fault. Everybody loves to blame Trump, even after he's left the office. Like, dude. Okay, for one, it's funny how you don't want a wall around the border in order to keep America safe. But y'all want to keep yourself safe with a barbed wire fence around the Capitol. That is hilariously hypocritical. That's a bunch of BS. The policy choices that are, that were ill-conceived, uh, that have blown up in Biden administration space. That's what happens when you put a Democrat in office. They don't care about you. They just want to dis to decon. Oh my God! Don't let me don't let me rant again. I'm I'm getting a headache. According to reports, tens of thousands of migrants from Central America are currently making their way to the southern border, which has led border agents to remain on high alert. Officials said at least 14,000 unaccompanied migrant children are being held in federal custody. Meanwhile, Graham intends to reintroduce a bill that would help reshape immigration reform with the senator advocating for refuge processing centers abroad. 
refugee, sorry, processing centers, um, which is great. Um, I even said that there, sh there should be some sort of process in order for people who are from a different country to be a, an American citizen. That's something that I've said before. They need a process. They need something in order to uh, get people in legally um, other than, you know, people just coming in willy-nilly. I sound like an old person when I said that, but you know what I mean. The current situation at our southern border is beyond a crisis, uh, Lindsey Graham has tweeted. Today, I'm introducing the Secure and Protect Act of 2021 to fix broken policies and stop abuse of our asylum laws. The border will continue to be overrun unless the Biden administration changes course. Yep. Okay, what does he say? There's a picture here and I'm going to read it. And whether it makes sense to you or me, it, I'm just going to keep reading it. It don't really matter. Let me see. It's loading. I just wanted to see the picture. Okay. Um, asylum claims from Northern Triangle or bordering countries must be filed in Central America or Mexico, not in the U.S., Treat unaccompanied minors, UAC, uh, from Central America, like UAC from Canada and Mexico. Families can be held together for longer than current 20-day limit and will be processed as priority cases. 500 new immigration judges. Yes. Okay. Treat unaccompanied minors from Central America and UAC, like UAC from Canada and Mexico. I see. Yeah. I like that. I, I they, they need to put this in. Uh -uh. Rogue Radio will be right back after this message. next section is either social media news in general so that um, I can fill the space between political news and world news because those those are the like the two main sections that I really care about but um, yeah we're gonna get into it let's see what I can uh, find here you know what I feel like doing something different today with uh, rogue news because I talk about a lot of serious stuff and I know sometimes that can bring people down emotionally, so find some fun, positive stuff for this section. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, uh, I'll make this a permanent section where it's just like positivity for like the next three stories. So, uh, let's do that. You know, like talk about some geeky stuff and stuff like that. Like some fun stuff, because I'm too serious sometimes when it comes to like the news. You know?
Alright, the first fun thing that I'm gonna talk about should be no surprise. My Hero Academia! Um, me and my husband are a big fan of MHA. And for the longest time, I did not want to be watching anime. I didn't even want to be around anime things for a long time. Just because I had that, like, hipster mentality where I'm like, if it's popular, I hate it. I don't want to be part of the masses that just love anime. Anime is going to be a dead art one day. I literally said that to my friends who, um loved anime and they just were like Sarah calm down it's just a book or it's just a movie or a show and yes it's true um and I love anime now I, I uh MHA is one of the main animes that I do watch and I love it for many many reasons um and I just love it it's just wonderful I love it for those of you who don't know who don't know what MHA is, or My Hero Academia, it's a show based around uh, a world where superpowers, like people with superpowers, are the norm now. And uh, people who don't have a quirk, that's what they call a superpower, are kind of looked down upon. You know, they're quirkless, they, they, don't, they don't really have a use in society. Um, and there's this school called UA and it teaches kids how to be pro-heroes. Um, after they graduate, they can get into hero agencies and work for them and save people around the world. And me as an MHA fan, I have met a lot of people um, just in public, because I have like a Shoto Todoroki sweater, because he's one of my favorite characters. And um, people will be like, you're into MHA? Like, bro, it's like it's like finding a long-lost family member in this fandom, because everybody, everybody, it, it doesn't matter. There's people that love this show, and it's surprising how many people I've actually met that love this show, and I, I just love it. I love meeting fans of MHA, because I'm not alone <laughs> in loving it, which is great. Um, they have two movies out along with the four seasons. I've watched all four seasons during quarantine. Yes, I might have had a problem back then. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I loved all four seasons. I watched it all the way through and, um, I keep rewatching it. And, um, it's just, it's so good. It's so good. But, uh, one of the main reasons why I love MHA is because. Um, it teaches kids who don't have a father what a father is, like what it's like to, to be a real father or to have a real father. And um, <clears throat> nowadays, not a lot of fathers have stepped up in their responsibility in um, being a father. Um, there's children that are estranged from their fathers. They don't know who their father is. They never met them, you know or they're abusive or something like that, you know? And um, it's something that breaks my heart because children need a father just as much as they need a mother. And um, when I started watching this um, show, I kind of saw the under um, context 
And whether or not the writer intended this or not, um, or the creator, it's still a well-written show. And the way um, the main character, Izuka Midoriya, he does not have a superpower. My, my oven is done preheating. But that doesn't stop him from wanting to become a hero one day. Um, he's always wanted to be a hero. He's looked up to All Might, who is one of the main characters and one of the, the main heroes in the show. And he actually meets All Might. And he asks him, Are, can I hope to be a hero like you without a quirk? And at first he says no, because you need a quirk in order to be a hero. But um, then, um, after a grand act that Izuka Midoriya does, um, trying to save someone's life that day, All Might decides to pull him aside and say, yes, you can, you can have a quirk. Like, I have a quirk. It's called One for All. It's an inheritance. I didn't have a quirk back, back in the day when I was a kid, like you, you know. I'm gonna give it to you because you seem very worthy of it. And then the rest of the show is basically All Might raising him up to be the number one hero for Tokyo. And um, I'm not too sure. I've never read the mangas. I've never read the books. But um, in the show, we don't know who um, Izuka Midoriya's father is. We don't meet him. Um, he only has his mother. And let me let me say this. His mother is a freaking badass. I'm sorry, but she's done so much for this kid. She loves her son. But um, he doesn't have a father figure. He doesn't have a father figure in the home. And um, All Might kind of steps in and fathers him up to be a hero. Mentors him. Um, is close with him, protects him, and helps him and trains him to be a hero with the quirk that he's given him. And then we have another example, which is Shota Aizawa, which is um, a character who is the class 1A teacher that teaches these kids how to be a hero in the school. And even though he has some interesting ways of teaching, some very hard ways of teaching, He's that tough love father that says, you can do it, I believe in you. Like, he, he won't directly say that, but he knows. Like, he believes in his class. He's protected them, mentored them, and raised them up just as much as All Might has. But he's a father to all the class. And there's about maybe, what, 20, 25 um, kids in that classroom. And each one he's trained, and each one he has mentored and raised up and protected um, with his life. And that's another type of father. That's another example of a father in um, MHA. And to be honest, I love Aizawa. He's like a saint. I don't care what anybody says. He's awesome. But then we have some bad examples of fathers. Um, or father figures. We have All For One. All For One? Yes. We have All For One, who is All Might's uh, arch nemesis. And he raises up a villain called Shigaraki. And Shigaraki 
um, was raised up in hate and anger and hurt. And he is the result of um, a father that did not parent his child right. Um, some people, you know, raise their kids in racism and hate and anger. And we have people like that nowadays who just hate certain people. And we see that as an example in, in Shigaraki. You know, and so, yeah, that's why I love MHA. They have two movies out, one I own, and then the other one um, I still have to get, actually. Um, I found it at a um, video game store, like a used video game store. But I gave it to a fan because I met somebody in the store. And I'm like, you know what, here, I just, it's a pleasure to meet people who are fans just like me, you know? I mean, there's always going to be another movie. There's always going to be a Heroes Rising movie somewhere, you know? So I gave it to him. And, um, yeah. But, um, apparently there's rumors of a third movie coming out. And here's where I read the article. Sorry for drifting for so long, but I love MHA. Okay, here we go. It says, third My Hero Academia film title and release a date leaked. It is a good week to be a My Hero Academia fan. It's been a year since the anime's fourth season ended and fans, after a long wait, the famed anime franchise will finally kick off its new, its brand new season in, on bleh, this Saturday. Um, it set to cover two important story arcs. The first story arc will adapt the joint training storyline where class 1A and 1B band together. In the second one, they will also cover the manga's climactic... Um, climactic? Yes. Meta Liberation Army battle, which will focus on the League of Villains. That's not the only thing fans are looking forward to. Ever since the teaser and announcement of the third My Hero Academia film, fans have been eager to know more about the fans or the film's plot and story. Well, thanks to the savvy Twitter user at Sushi101X, we finally got some details on the film. My Hero Academia movie Heroes Mission Key visual movie releases August 6, 2021. <clears throat> the picture seems to be a key art for the film, um, along with some very interesting details. The third film installment will be titled World Heroes Mission. It's set to release on August 6, 2021. An official announcement is expected to be made at Anime Japan 2021 this weekend. Based on the imagery, theories could be made that the film might adapt the Endeavor Agency arc from the manga Izuka Midora Katsuki Bakugo. Oh lord, that was a mouthful. Um, and Shoto Todoroki undergo a hero work internship with Shoto's father and number one hero Endeavor. There is a good chance it might also introduce us to number two heroes, Hawks, who is who has relatively who has a relatively strong role during this arc in the manga. So we get to know who Hawks 
really is. We get to know some some backstory on Hawks, which I love because when I saw Hawks in like the last one of the last episodes of season four, I was like, who's that? I need to get to know this guy because you just came out of nowhere like a dang bird, okay? He is part bird. He's Hawks. But anyway, you get what I mean. He just flew by not even caring that we don't know who he is yet. Now come on now, Hawks. We gotta know who you are now, okay? But yes, that's the whole article. I wish it was, uh, I wish it was longer, but, um, I love it. I love the fact that they're making another movie. This, this is a big franchise, MHA, and I'm kind of glad I'm part of being a fan, being in the fandom, because, um, it's interesting to meet people, and not only that, uh, when it comes to, like, Japanese anime, I feel like it's got a certain sense. Let me, let me gather my thoughts for a minute because my mouth can't keep up. It has a certain sentimentality um, that you don't get in American cartoons because, um, I mean, I'm a '90s kid. I used to watch Hey Arnold and and you know um, other cartoons back in the day. And they all had like some sort of life lesson that kids can learn. But now we have a new remake of Teen Titans, which is basically them goofing off all of the time. And we also have SpongeBob, which has no educational value whatsoever. And when I saw MHA, you actually learn life lessons. You actually learn what a father really is. You actually learn um, determination and, um, ambition and all of that. And that's something that I love. And it's not just MHA that has those qualities. Um, I can understand why people love anime because it actually does come from the heart sometimes. You just have to figure out which anime kind of works for you. Because I have seen some overly sexual, uh, animes, which I don't like. And I've seen some pretty demonic animes as well. But when it comes to learning a life lesson, like the anime of MHA, I love to look for those types of animes. Um, one of the best movies that I've seen that is anime is called A Silent Voice. And if you want to watch it, um, it's on Netflix and it's about a, a deaf girl that is has been bullied all of her life and uh, I just love it because it, it's just such a beautiful story I love it um, a whisker away which was kind of <laughs> kind of quirky and kind of creepy but it, it still has some sort of life lesson in it even though it had some ridiculousness in it but um, but it has a certain sentimentality and emotional um, investment in the anime, in certain animes, which I absolutely love because you get to learn a lesson, you get to understand the culture, you get to understand uh, what these writers were thinking when they started creating these characters and these storylines. Because some animes, um, the most recent one that I have started watching, and I literally just started watching it last night, is called Toradora which is on um, Netflix as well, if you want to watch that. And it's about 
these two troubled teens and how they become friends, you know, and how aggressive they are because they are put in some sort of stereotype where one of them looks too much like their father, so they think that he looks like a psycho. And then we have a girl who is way too aggressive because she wanted to move out of her parents' house for some reason that I don't know about yet. But, you know, they, they come from two dysfunctional families and they come together and become friends. And that's something that we need to learn in America is we need to learn those life lessons that are portrayed by certain characters in order to apply it to our lives. Because there are kids out there with dysfunctional families that don't know what to do, you know. They don't know how to express themselves. And I love the fact that anime is starting to portray certain people from different walks of life in certain animes. And I love that. It's beautiful. I love it. And I, I take everything back <laughs> that I said about anime being a dead art. It's not going anywhere. And I love it so much. Okay, I found an article that's kind of interesting and I kind of love it. And I just read the title, but we're gonna. We're, I'm gonna read it. I'm gonna read it for you. So, you know. Anyway, we run a grocery store where everything is free. Wellington is a tiny city, really. We only have around 200,000 people living here, even though we're the capital of New Zealand. Um, the city suits or the city sits on the edge of a beautiful harbor and you can walk almost anywhere. Um, a journey on foot from one end to the city to the other takes less than an hour. Oh wow. Um, but one of, the con one of the conversations I have often is that while Wellington is a beautiful place to live, it's not beautiful for everyone in our community and particularly those who are struggling financially. I actually trained as a chartered accountant, but in 2000 I decided I needed to do something of more value to the community. So after working um, for Barn Ardus and the New Zealand government in 2018, I became the 12th Wellington City Missioner and the first missioner who is not in ordained Anglican priest? I probably botched that name, but... Wellington City Mission was founded in 1904 as part of the Church of England to respond to the needs of the community. I need to take the biscuits out the oven, excuse me. Okay, give me a minute. <laughs> And while faith is central to the organization, we are completely inclusive. Everybody is welcome and we treat everyone with dignity and respect. Although providing food support to the community, with it doesn't give people the opportunity to choose food that they like and know what to do with. So we began to think about how we could give people the opportunity to choose their own food and ultimately that became a concept of the social supermarket. 
currently we're building a transformational community hub where in Wellington and social and a social supermarket will be part of that. Um, but because we knew that we had 18 months before the hub was complete, we decided to trial the supermarket, which is the New Zealand term for grocery store in a warehouse space we have. A large supermarket chain here in New Zealand agreed to help us and they came in and designed a supermarket in a space we had available. Fitting it out with shelving and aisles, refrigeration units, vegetable racks, and all sorts of displays. We have a checkout counter, trolleys and baskets, everything you would find in a normal supermarket store. Um, I'm so proud of what the team has done. People don't need to prove their uh, need to shop here. They just have come to us and let and tell us who they are and what their circumstances are. Then they can make an appointment to shop with us. We don't want prices, so we decide to assign implicit value through point system, which is a simple way to help people manage what they are getting from us. It's a five-point scale where uh, items worth one to two dollars um, equate to one point and <laughs> sorry and then it moves to where items worth more than ten are worth five points um, people are allocated points based on their situation so an adult individual is allocated 55 points and a family allocated more points um, the idea is that people get to choose but also learn how to stop within a limited budget I get it it's interesting but this project is underpinned by generosity so if we get to the point where someone needs an item but has used all of their points, the instruction to the team is to be generous and do what they need to for their benefit of the shopper. We also have specials bins. I remember asking how specials bin could work in a supermarket where there are no prices. The idea is that you can take whatever you need from the specials bin and it doesn't come out of your points at all. We run a social supermarket by appointments and trained volunteer hosts each shop oh my god I can't talk words are hard um, each shopper because often people who come haven't shopped regularly and may need help to decide what to buy we stock virtually everything except alcohol and tobacco and already have around 3,000 product lines that's awesome that they're helping people but also not helping their habit and I love that I love that very much um, the mission has relied on donations for a long time and we do still encourage them despite getting support from supermarket chain but often items are donated that we can't put 
in a food parcel like hot sauce or gluten-free products. Now we can put those items on the shelves on the, the social supermarket and our customers can benefit from that. We opened on March 16th and our manager ended up in tears at the end of the first shopper's visit. It was such a powerful moment that first shopper came in and was so excited to be given her own trolley. She'd never used a trolley before because she hadn't had the resources to fill one. Aww. That hit my team quite hard. Then when she left, she said it was one of the best things she'd ever done. I don't profess to have all the answers, but it felt like we'd got something right and managed to create a deeply respectful and meaningful process that helps people when they are at their most stressed and ashamed. Aww, that wants me- oh, I know I want to cry. Like, dude. This is what we need in America, okay? Um, because the food banks here, depending on where you go, okay, there are some really good food banks, but some of the food banks um, are held in churches, and most of them are, honestly. I think a lot of them are, but the, the community centers and stuff like that, and, um, they're mostly, like, out-of-date food or almost expired food. Um, sometimes you get day-old bread, and it, it expires quite quickly, and... I feel like America, especially in in um, the state where I live at, um, should implement the example like of what they're doing in New Zealand. Like this should be implemented in every nation, to be perfectly honest, because this is such a clever thing, and it's wonderful because there are struggling families out there that can't afford food and it shouldn't be a thing. It shouldn't be a thing at all. Food should be something, I don't know. I have my opinions on like how accessible food should be because I understand like people who farm, they need to sell their products and that those products need to be sold in stores so they're more accessible. So it's like a huge process, but I feel like people should have the right to grow their own food, one, and two, people who don't have good jobs or that are underpaid or just can't afford food at the time, they should be able to afford food. They should be able to access food because that's just a natural thing. We need to eat. We need to have food. It's, a, it's just a, a natural thing for us to to do every day just to go and get food so we can eat and provide for our families and with the economy now it has become quite hard um with what with the prices on the food rising and the gas prices and stuff it's becoming more expensive to live in america which is awful i don't i don't like it one bit but um I love this idea. I love this idea, um, especially with people who are homeless or 
they um, have a certain situation where, yeah, they can't afford food, but I just love it. I can't, I can't stop gushing over it. This is genius. And I hope that New Zealand is an example for all nations to, to like implement. I hope I speak it. I do. I want to speak it into existence because I just want to bless this business, honestly, that listen, I speak it into existence. There's going to be more nations that will implement this stuff that will implement social supermarkets because people need this. Needy people need this. They do. They really need this. And it's it's so beautiful to see that. I'm sorry. I'm just in a I'm in a good mood today. <laughs> but um it's important to note that we are dealing with a problem that stems from the inadequacy of household income and given the cost of housing. Um food need is just a manifestation of those other problems. That's correct. Um, the beauty of our hosting model is that ev- <laughs> Give me a minute. is that during the course of the conversation conversation, yeah, which is hopefully warm and respectful, our hosts and customers will discuss these topics. The mission has other support services that people can utilize if they want or need them. Budgeting, advice, social work support and support with parenting amongst other things. Uh, We want to walk a journey with someone and help them on their way. Someone asked how we avoid members of the same family coming in and we do try to control that as best we can. But we're not going to define our model around people who may choose to abuse it because those people are always the in the minority. Most people are genuine and won't come and ask for help unless they are desperate. Yeah. Uh, my people, or no, my hope. <laughs> what? <laughs> my hope is actually that people won't shop with us very often because I hope their experience with us is part of their journey towards independence. I love that. Many of us go to the supermarket, buy our shopping, and go home. Very seldom would we reflect on the privilege of being able to do that. I think the uniqueness of our project is the uh, efforts we have made to make this look like a regular supermarket because um, we're we're genuinely trying to say that we want this to be normal, lovely experience for people. We are faith-led, faith-centered, and uh, a faith-centered organization, but we're not here to evangelize or convert people. Everybody is welcome here without judgment. I find the people who use our services to be deeply honest and beautiful and I often reflect that there isn't a lot of difference between us. See, I love that because to be perfectly honest, faith-based people sometimes want to convert people because like let's say a Christian who's been in such a religious environment, environment just like, oh, 
you should, you know, convert to Christianity or you're going to hell, you know, sort of thing. That mentality, like, fire and brimstone, doomsday stuff. You don't say that to someone who is trying to find solace in their life or peace. You want to approach people with love, and I love the fact that they're doing that in their own way. Yes, they're faith-based, but they're also not pushing their beliefs like some Christians do, or some um, faith-based people do. And I love that because love speaks volumes, and they're showing love to people, and maybe one day somebody may, might come in and be like, hey, listen, I, I need God in my life, you know? They'll come to you. People will come to you to help them with their salvation. You don't need to push it on people. People, your purpose is what people need, but listen, this person who made this um, business, that was her purpose, that's her purpose. She's actually utilizing her purpose that God gave her. And because of that, people need that purpose. People need that food. She's giving to people, which means she's also, it's an act of worship and giving to people. It's an act of offering and tithe, okay? You're giving to other people who need it the most. And because of the fact that she's looking after God's people, the people, humans, okay? <laughs> she's also um, showing how much faith she has in God and um, how much faith she has. And um, that's beautiful. Um, I've always heard that your life is the biggest testimony to people. Like, that's the biggest witness that, um, you know, people will see. That's like the biggest example of who God is to you in your life is the way you live your life. And yes, it's true. Because... A lot of people nowadays are always wanting to see a Christian um, and how they live. Um, to see if they actually mess up or something like that. I mean, we're human, we, we make mistakes. But the thing is, is that her life and what she's doing and her purpose is an example to the people who need it. And I love that so much. I love that so much. That's beautiful. But we're going to keep going. This is a long uh, article, but one of the things that underpins this journey is that we have tried to create a community where there is no us and them. I want us to be connected together as a community. What's important to me is um, less about what the mission does, but what it enables to be done. That means equipping and empowering the community to take care of itself. Mm -hmm. So. I hold the work we do quite lightly, although it's important because I want the mission to be a mechanism that helps people care for each other. Um, our ultimate goal is to build better communities. Mm -hmm. I love that. Murray Edridge is Wellington City Missioner and Wellington City Mission in Wellington, New Zealand. Murray. Oh, is it a, is it, is it a guy? I thought it was a girl. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, in New Zealand, Social Supermarket is a partnership between Wellington City Mission and New World Market. Mm, New World Market. I don't like that. Anyway. 
Yes, and that's the article. I still love it, though. I still love it. It's like a modern... I don't even want to say food bank, but it's it's a modern way of people who are desperate to get food. And not only that, they don't want people to rely on it. And that's why they made the point system. And that's beautiful. People need to... People in other countries, governments in other countries need to, to make this a legal thing now. I love it. All right. So, for those of you who who are listening, who know me quite well, I love emo music, even though I've never been really an emo back in the day when the emo movement started in the 2000s. But I will rock out to emo music now. Like, I started being emo when I was like 27, because I was robbed of being an angsty teen back in the day. But, um, it's backed up into, into my 20s, and now I'm, you know, in my 30s. And I'm just like, you know what? I just, I just love it. It's a sentimental thing, you know? But, um... I found an article, excuse me, and um, we're gonna read it. It says, top emo songs with lyrics that are even sadder than you thought. So prepare to get your tissues ready. (laughs) The beauty of emo music is that it provides a canvas for our own emotional projections. The lyrical narratives, even when relatively specific, um often have just enough ambiguity uh, that we can relate to them in some sense to our unique circumstances. With that said, knowing the backstories of our favorite songs can elevate them to a whole new level. We're no longer left to fill in the blanks with personal connections, rather we're given a brief window to gaze in on a specific and visceral human experience. Of course, when we're talking about emo music, those glimpses are going to be sad as hell. <laughs> um, let's see. Here are ten emo songs that become more depressing when you know the meaning behind them. Oh no. Four become one, Hawthorne Heights. Now... I remember one of my friends was in love with Hawthorne Heights. I think I know some of their songs, because I think I have some of their songs on my email playlist on Spotify, but I'm not too familiar with their music. But, um, okay, yeah, I am. Um, one of their songs is Ohio is for Lovers. Okay, Hawthorne Heights has, has been tugging at heartstrings since their inception. Uh, despite their early anthem, Ohio is for Lovers, carrying on as an emo staple for years, their objectively saddest tracks come from their 2008 album, Fragile Future. Their release was the first following of the tragic death of their rhythm rhythm guitarist, Casey Calvert, in 2007. The record boasts two songs in response to the loss sugar on the engine or in the engine 
and four become one. However, the latter is characterized by subdued and visceral energy that will that will well up inside your chest as soon as you recognize the profound meaning behind it. It's a challenge not to tear up when hearing the first verse alone, and you will live on. Our hearts will beat stronger as we remain as one. We will last just a little while longer. Aww. Prevent this tragedy, alkaline trio. I've never actually heard of these people. Um, unless you're listening particularly closely to alkaline trios, prevent this tragedy. Um, could be mistaken as just another showcase of dark-laced emo edge. Um, once you home in on the line, West Memphis, please, I'm begging you to stop praying for me. Though the true narrative starts to reveal itself, the strong or the song uh, was written regarding the wrongful convictions of the then still in prison West Memphis Three. Um, in the case where unfamiliar with the story, Damien Eccles, Jason Baldwin, and Jesse Missakelly were convicted for the alleged murder of three children in 1993. Baldwin and Missakelly were sentenced to life, and Eccles received the death penalty. The verdict stirred up. Um, the verdict stirred up with significant controversy for years due to a lack of adequate evidence. Um, it's widely suspected that the police had coerced false confessions from the teens, who therefore were wrongly or lo- wrongly lost free lives to the system. Um, fortunately, the heartbreaking story resolved. To some extent, in 2011, the three walked free from prison following the Alford plea. Um, however, they, they've yet to be formally exonerated. Knowing this, the song hits us right in the field. Uh, just, beca- just imagine spending nearly two decades of your young life in prison for a crime you didn't commit. Wow, I don't know anything about that, um that case, but sing for me, yellow card. I've heard some yellow card, too. I love it. I like this band, but... Ryan Key never held back on delivering emotional narratives via yellow card. The backstory behind sing for me really guts us, though. The song puts forth the perspective of Stephanie Key's aunt and and a stewanch supporter of his endeavors. Um, following her terminal cancer diagnosis. Though Stephanie had a life expectancy of only a year, she pulled through for two. Um, She ultimately passed away on October 2011 after the song's release on the When You're Through Thinking Say Yes album. Wow. Hello, Evanescence. I remember my friend, one of my friends, actually getting me to listen to this. And I was... Back in the day, I was disturbed. But, um... I haven't actually 
listened to any Evanescence in a very long time. But um, I remember uh, Bring Me to Life would be on Yes FM all the time. And um, so I knew that song pretty well. But when my friend actually uh, let me listen to this song, I was like, what is going on? And, and why? Why is this happening? But Evanescence... <laughs> Jesus. I have a certain... Uh, mental trauma with this <laughs> song. So, um, Evanescence are notably poignant when or even in the absence of traumatic backstories. So when Amy Lee addresses her deceased younger sister in a lyrical form, Jesus Christ! Oh my God, okay. Uh, no, I, can, I can't. I can't imagine losing someone that close to me. That's terrible. But we can't help but choke up. Hello is highly emotional portrayed portrayal of the loss Lee experienced at age six when her three-year-old sister succumbed to an unknown illness. Oh, It's not difficult to isolate the narrative, but the line, has no one told you she's not breathing? Oh, f- oh Jesus, that got me in the heart. Um, uh-uh. It's particularly indicative of the haunting context. Yes, I remember it being very haunting and very, di- like, I don't want to say disturbing, but back in that day, I was a kid and I was taught by my family and by certain church members, like, emo music is the devil. So having that mentality and actually hearing that Yes, it disturbed me. I was like, what is she talking about? I remember that, though. Because my friend, I remember that line because my friend actually sang it and looked at me. I'm like, what is wrong with you? (laughs) But she liked the song. That's fine. But I'm just like, don't. Don't. King Park La Dispute. Okay, I don't think I've ever heard of these people either, but... I've heard of the next one, though. Um, (laughs) The next one... Oh, no, okay. This one is truly difficult to think about. The narrative of La Dispute's King Park uh, extensively covers an innocent casualty of gang violence and its gutting aftermath. Unfortunately, it's all based on the true story that came out of Grand Rapids, Michigan in circa 2008. Um, 16-year-old David Witherspoon fell victim to gang violence while walking home with some friends who who had targets on their backs. Though he had no gang affiliations himself, Witherspoon was the sole fatality shooter Kyle Keenan died by suicide four days later. The incident hit particularly close to home for vocalist Jordan Dreyer um, as he worked with a family friend of Witherspoon's at the time. Helena, My Chemical Romance. I know this song very well, and I like it very much. Um... The front-facing narrative of My Chemical Romance's Helena's Brutal Enough uh, factor in the true backstory of loss through, or though, and it becomes much harder to listen. 
Vocalist Gerard Way describes the song as an open letter to himself in light of losing his grandmother, Elena. Um, we dealt with a lot of self-directed anger um, regarding uh, his absence in her final stages of life. So the critical tone of the song is actually inward looking rather than projected onto a late lover like the music video indicates. Yeah, I knew it was about his grandmother and how emotional he was when um, he got the news that his grandmother died. Um, All that I've got, the used. Um, We know the used were addressing some of the loss some or some form of loss in all that I've got. Still, the specific nature of the backstory is a serious gut punch. Um, Bert McCracken um, wrote this song in response to the death of his dog, David Bowie. Aww, you named your dog David Bowie? That's so cute. I'm sorry that you lost your dog. Sad. Anyway, McCracken had reportedly intended to bring the pup with him while recording All Love and Death. Unfortunately, a planning mishap meant that he had to leave his companion behind until his friend could fly out a couple of days later. Um, Unfortunately, a car hit his dog and he died, and the day after McCracken left, we're never going to be able to or we're never going to be able to listen to this one without feeling compelled to hug our furry best friends. Aww. Um hear hear you me. Jimmy Eat World. I like Jimmy Eat World. I love the middle. I like that song. But um anyway, um, there exists a com- commonality between Jimmy Eat World and Weezer in the story behind You Hear Me. Hear You Me. A song is a tribute to Michael and Carly Allen, two well-known figures in the Weezer fandom who died in a car accident while returning home from one of their shows. Aww. The sisters were, um, early supporters turned friends of Jimmy and had even um, opened up their Portland home to the brand. Hence the opening line of the song, there's no one in town I know you gave us some place to go. Weezer also paid them a tribute in their aptly titled song, Michael and Carly. Aww. Morning Sadness, Medina Lake. I've never heard of this person either. Am I, like, not listening to emo songs correctly? Because a lot of these songs I've never heard of. Um, The theme of grief is ever-present in Medina Lake's Morning Sadness. While you know uh, where it's grounded, though you'll have no choice but to fight back tears whenever you hear it. Um... The song details the tragic and unexpected death of Leon Leon Brothers' mother um, when they were 12 years old. While such a profound loss will cut deep at any age, the thought of the song from a child's perspective um, 
makes it hard to stomach. Oh, make it stop September's children rise again. Never heard of these people either. I'm so sorry. I'm I'm probably not listening to emo music the right way. <laughs> But, okay, upon casual listening, Rise Against Make It Stop, September's Children, may just seem like another display of emo punk angst. It's much more profound, though. The song is a response to a string of nine teenage suicides that occurred in September 2020. 2010. 2010. September 2010 as a result of LGBTQ plus targeted bullying. It's terrible. At the 304 mark, you can hear Tim McCarrith uh, reading off five of the names and ages of the deceased. The backstory gives a somber text to lines such as, I'm born free, but still they hate. I'm born me. No, I can't change. Wow. Um... What are the saddest backstories to emo songs that you know of? Tell us about them in the comments. Yeah, that is from Alt Press. Um, altpress.com. So if you want to read that article and leave them a comment, go ahead and do so. That was a really good uh, article. So now we're going to go on to world news. And then you're done with me. You don't have to listen to me anymore. <laughs> Now, in this uh, podcast, I already covered New Zealand, and New Zealand is one of my listeners, which, thank you, by the way. Uh, much love to you. But I've recently found out that the Netherlands is starting to listen. Welcome to the Rogue Radio family, the Netherlands. And this segment of news is for you, dedicated to the listeners. Okay, for those of you who have listened to the last um, episode of Persecution Press, I've talked about the Grey Wolves in Turkey, and it seems like the Netherlands is also being affected by Turkey as well. And I'm not too sure how close the Netherlands is to Turkey, but um, I found this on... Um, on Google and I had to read it just because it kind of ties into what I had the last episode of Persecution Press. But um, I want to still extend the hand to those people who um, are in Turkey, who are in the Netherlands, who are in Austria, France, Germany, and even Armenia. You are allowed to contact me about this issue, talk to me about it, Tell me your point of view. How are you affected by this? Um, and, um, yeah, so you can contact me at rogue.radio04 at gmail.com. Please feel free to contact me. I can translate it easily. Don't worry about, you know, typing in your um, native language. And let me know if sharing your story about these issues is okay for me to, you know, talk about on my podcast. Just uh, give me permission if you want me to talk about it. Um, because I want to be able to share the stories of people in different countries that are being affected by this issue. And also, 
you know, just stories in general, like where you've come from and what you've gone through. Um, I want to be able to extend more of the renegade stories and uh, share people's testimonies about um, what they've gone through as well. So um, we're going to get right into it. Um, But for those of you who don't know who the Grey Wolves are, it's a terrorist community um, within Turkey that basically wants to be able to stand up for the Muslim religion because they believe that um, preserving Turkishness or preserving Islam in Turkey is a very um, pure thing to do. Like, it's it's something that they, they stand up for. They want to be able to have only Muslims in, in Turkey, but we're going to keep going. Racism in Netherlands, one less Turk, police say, after teen murdered. Uh-oh. Um, another institutional racism case has unfolded in the Netherlands as an investigation into police officers who were given a warning for their racially discriminatory views uh, continues. Um, last month, an investigation... Uh, revealed that five police officers in Rotterdam uh, used offensive and derogatory remarks against immigrants in a WhatsApp group. What the heck? Despite the police officers being condemned for their actions, new reports revealed that they went beyond these expressions saying one less Turk regarding uh, 60-year-old Humeria Eri... Er, ah, Humeria. We're just going to say his name. I, I'm pretty sure I'm not saying his name right. And I'm so sorry to the family who um, has lost um, their child. But who was murdered in 2018. And um, according to a report by UK public broadcaster BBC citing Dutch NRC newspaper Rotterdam Police called... Um, Ergen Conley's Ergen Conley's family I hope I'm saying your last name right I'm really sorry if I didn't uh, family has requested a meeting after the publication of the article uh, the meeting is held on Wednesday where officials said that offensive marks by police officers actually targeted judicial institutions against the possibility against the possibility of a slight punishment for Ergen Akali's killer. Um, okay, I want to say since um, there's racism in Netherlands, which I don't stand up for any type of uh, racism at all anywhere in the, any country, but um, I think I know where this... Um, Racial phobia is, I mean, this racism is coming from uh, because of the Grey Wolves and because of what's happening in certain other countries tied to Turkey. And um, I don't like it, but I also feel like I understand why people are trying to be safe from. Um, certain racial groups but the thing is is that no one should be racially profiled especially with the police and this is one of the reasons why we have 
people rising up against the police because there are some bad apples in the police system. We should not generalize the whole police system, of course, because I believe that blue lives matter. But I also believe that we need to be able to root out the bad apples. You know what I mean? Um, Because this whole racist thing with um, this 16-year-old Turkish child... I mean, he lost his life. All he was doing was being a kid, you know? And that's hurtful to the family and that's hurtful to people who are affected by this incident because a child lost his life for absolutely no reason but because he was Turkish and that's not okay. Um, I don't don't like that at all. Um, The lawyer of the family, uh, Nelik Stock, Uh, said that the family's trust in the police had already diminished due to rejection of Humeria's request for protection against the murderer uh, before the killing. Um, She said that the latest racially motivated incident completely destroyed the the family's confidence. When someone... It's, it's sad when people can't trust the police anymore. Um, and, I mean, partially I can understand why some people are violent against the police. Because some of them are racist. Some of them are... Sorry. Some of them are violent and some of them are just evil people. They, they abuse their power and everything. But I don't believe that we should generalize the whole police system. I know that puts a blemish on the police system, but like I said, we need a process in order to take these people out of the system and try to purify it even more to where there's no racism and stuff like that. Because we're supposed to put our trust in the police, and um, lately it's just been very, very hard for a lot of people to do that. Uh, Turks are second largest are the second largest ethnic group in the Netherlands following the Dutch with a population of about 2 million. Oh wow. Um, up until the last decade the Netherlands was considered to be a country like Germany Germany in terms of its Turkish diaspora. Diaspora? Um, but sentiments changed by 2009 Human Rights Watch HRW uh, had released a report highlighting that the country's legislation violates the rights of the Turks. Okay. Uh, I, I see some some strings being tied together from my Persecution Press episode because I've also said that um, certain countries like Muslim countries are saying like Our rights aren't being, um, like, we don't have a lot of rights in certain countries and stuff like that. And I said, like, you kind of have to adapt because um, not everyone's going to like Sharia law. And I don't think that's what they're talking about. Maybe it is, but um, because in Islam, uh, they have some very harsh laws. extreme laws if you're an Islamic extremist, but, um, yeah, but anyway, um, pioneered by some prominent politicians, uh, such as Geert Wilders, 
Uh, racist rhetoric has become mainstream in the Netherlands in recent years. Reports have shown that state uh, institutions started to embrace discriminatory attitudes while providing basic services. Back in May 2020, the Dutch tax authority um, admitted to having used applicants' second nationality as an official criterion in determining the risk of fraud, a method that has been an implication since 2012. Implementation since 2012. The authority also confessed that over 11,000 people with dual nationality were subject to stricter checks than such citizens such or without a second nationality. Um, the Hague-based privacy watchdog AP said uh, in July 17th, 2020 that the tax authority uh, had obtained the information on the family's second nationalities illegally. Um, Concerned Muslim citizens. Established in Denk Party, D-E-N-K Party, in 2015, February, to focus on the combating widespread racism, discrimination, and xenophobia. Um, according to a statement delivered by D-N-K, D-E-N-K, the party's deputy, Stefan Van Barl, uh, asked the Rotterdam mayor to apologize to the family and expelled the racist police officers in question from duty. That's what needs to happen. Um, I feel like not only that, not after it happens, we need to do something in order before this stuff happens. Like, if someone's making a racial joke, or someone's making something um, some sort of racial comment that strikes somebody in a wrong way, you have to listen and really listen to people. Because I feel like people don't usually listen carefully to what people are saying or watch carefully of what people are doing. That's one of the reasons why a lot of people get away with what they get away with. Because you can pick up on somebody's vibe pretty quickly if you watch them from a distance. And you'll know whether or not they're a racist person, a violent person, a manipulative person, after you watch them closely and listen to them closely. And then at some point, if they start making threats or racist comments, they're allowed to be cited for that. They're allowed, they have to be. They have to have some sort of punishment. But um, he added that Rotterdam Police Chief Fred Westerbrick, Westerbeck, uh, lost his reliability as he has not shown enough effort against racism. Probably because he's racist himself. Uh, over the past decade, the tolerant political uh, climate designed to allow for the freedom of speech has allowed far-right sympathizers with violent with violent tendencies to expand 
their scope in Europe, including the Netherlands. As a result of his Turkish mosques in Europe are frequently a target of Islamophobic attacks, and the latest of which took place at a mosque in the city of Zandam in northwestern Netherlands in November. Mosques in the Netherlands have endured dozens of attacks of varying extent in recent years. The culprits often attempt to burn the religious buildings down using explosives, Molotov cocktails, and deface the walls, spray painting terrorist symbols and racial slurs. I didn't want to put something so depressing on the news in the Netherlands, but since it's such a top story and it ties into some Turkish news that I found, I had to. I had to cover it because this isn't okay. I know I say that a lot. Like, that's one of my main phrases. Like, this is not okay. Um, regardless of people's religion like I have my disagreements on on that saying too but um, people need to be tolerant to a point where they, they they're not violent to each other we need to show love love speaks volumes that's all I gotta say I mean if that 16 year old child who happened to be Turkish was shown love they would have been alive today That's all I'm saying. Racism cures nothing. Anyway, I have nothing more to say. Sorry about that. My husband's about to come home. We're about to eat dinner, so, um, bye!